0: It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner.
1: Welcome in to another edition of the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital editor and columnist. Along with Rick Brewing, each week we look at sports topics locally, nationally. We take your random questions from the mailbag, which hopefully we've got some good ones again this week. I've enjoyed answering some of those.
0: I don't know if they're good, but we got some, that's for sure. All right, that, that, that's all that matters. It fills time is what it does.
1: Uh, but we do uh, enjoy that portion of the program. We're still uh, practicing our safe social distancing as I'm doing the podcast from my house. Rick is doing it from his house. We've done it that way for about the last five or six weeks. Rick has found an ingenious method to make this sound very, very good which I'm appreciative of, and uh, we've, we've muddled our way through. And here we are, maybe inching closer to sports reopening, Rick.
0: Maybe. Yeah, I, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. But let's jump right into it because we got a lot to get to. There was a lot that happened over the weekend and really since we last spoke uh, this time a week ago. The draft is over and the national media is heaping praise on the Bengals, believe it or not. Mel Kuiper at ESPN gave them a B+, plus, and that was the worst grade I could find. The Sporting News gave them an A+. Plus. Pro Football Focus, Bleacher Report, The Draft Wire, The New York Post, Yahoo Sports, and NFL.com gave them an A, and SB Nation and Sports Illustrated gave them an A- minus for the draft. Skinny, do you think the praise for the Bengals draft has more to do with the national opinion of Joe Burrow or the rest of the picks made by the Bengals?
1: I think a little of both. Um, I did a piece on local12.com. I do it each year. I, I, I grade each pick myself after the draft is over, kind of linked to the profile that we deal with each player. And then I use, as just a comparison, cbssports.com does what they call a flash grade. As When the pick is done, they give it a grade immediately, and I use those flash grades. Literally, every one of those was either an A, A-, minus, A+, plus, except for, I believe, one, maybe two. Uh, one got a B, and I, that might have been – being a B minus might've been the two lowest scores they got. So I think it's one thing when, when there's a, a set of eyes that has one opinion, I think it's another when a multiple sets of eyes agree on it. Uh, and, and, and look, I, I always love the guy that comes back and goes, I got to give it an eye. It's like, of course you do, but this is, that's not fun. I mean, the fun part of it is let's give a snap grade. And I, I think you, you graded on a couple of things, right? You graded on the value of the pick, uh, what you might've passed on or not passed on your need when you made that pick. And, and I thought they, I thought they did exactly what they, what they wanted to do with, with each and every pick. The only one that I can question a little bit off the, off the top is the Notre Dame defensive end, Kaleem Kareed. He's got great measurables. Um, they talked about his wingspan. He's long. It's kind of Carlos Dunlapy, although not quite as big as Carlos. But he wasn't overly productive despite those measurables. And, and to me, sometimes I, I want to see that productivity before I see anything else.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're getting into grading fifth-round defensive end picks, if that's what you have to talk about on the negative side or the questionable side, you have a pretty good draft put together um, in theory. And you're right. I mean, all of this is just in theory, but you look back the last few years we've talked about, the Bengals haven't drafted very well in recent years. And guess what? During those seasons, they weren't graded very highly after their drafts were finished. People were scratching their heads saying, "Uh, I don't know about what the Bengals did here now, whether this works out or not remains to be seen, of course, but it felt like they had a plan. It felt like the plan worked. It they, they were able to execute it. Uh, it just felt like they were very prepared. The T. Higgins thing seemed like, you know, like exactly what they wanted. It seemed like their guy came to them with that 33rd pick and they were prepared to to keep the pick and, and draft a difference maker if they felt they could get one. And it seems like they feel they've got that guy. And then my biggest concern has been just the feeling that they don't seem to care about the linebacker position at all. And did they get a difference maker in the draft? Probably not, I would say. But at the same time, they made a definite commitment to the linebacker position in the draft. You take a third-round pick, a fourth-round pick, and you add a seventh-round pick that people seem to like as a as a late-round potential guy. So I kind of agree with the general opinion that the Bengals had a good draft. That being said, the whole... The Bengals had the greatest draft ever, and everyone's giving them an A or an A+. Plus. I think that has a lot to do with Joe Burrow and how much yeah. everyone is no, in I, love I, with him.
1: Yeah, that, that's the starting point. But, but I, I think you're, you're right. I think they went, they, they went quantity at linebacker, and you can argue whether it's quality or not because it is third, fourth, and seventh rounds. But Logan Wilson, at, at, I think in a worst case scenario, is Nick Vigil. It's not great, but Nick played and was at times okay in this league. And Akeem Davis Gaither, the fourth round pick, believe it or not, I think people are higher on his potential than they are on on Logan Wilson's potential.
0: It seems uh, that and, way.
1: In fact, uh, you know, one of the websites, AG, set out odds for for offensive rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year, etc. And, and Davis Gaither actually is, his odds are lower. He's fourteen to one. I think like he's twenty five to one, which is eighth. I think Logan Wilson is 40 to 1. And um for, for people talking about uh, looking at, you know, looking at best pick, worst pick, all those for each team, a lot of people's best pick was a Keem Davis Gaither. So I, I think I think in today's day and age where you don't have to play three linebackers very often, all you really need, you need one. I mean it's yep, all you need. Exactly if you get right. more than one, then great. You got yourself a nice rotation working right there. So I thought they did that. I, I think the question mark for a lot of people, Rick, was they didn't address offensive line. And um, while I was one that was clamoring for, for Josh Jones, the Houston tackle at the start of the second round. and I Boy, did, did he slip, run. though. Oh, yeah. No, I, I was going to get – yeah, he absolutely slipped, number one. Number two, and I asked I asked Zach this. I think Paul Daner, Jr. of the Athletic, asked Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator, at another point when we had them on Zoom conferences, does this reaffirm what you guys think of your offensive line? And I think it does. And I, I'm not asking fans. I got into some Twitter arguments with fans about this. Of uh, Well, you're wrong. I – I'm not wrong. I'm not telling you they shouldn't have. It's their thought that they like their guys. Now, you're going to ride or die with those guys, but they like their guys, and that, that's okay. And the other part is you're not fixing a 2-14 and 14 team in one off season. You're not. You're going to fix portions of it. You're not fixing all of it.
0: No, to- totally. And my thing is this. I don't even think they're actually sold or they actually believe in their offensive line. I think they feel exactly the way I do, and and what I expressed on last week's podcast is that they don't know what they have in their offensive line yet. They've got a couple young guys that they think might be good. You know, Jonah Williams, they're expecting to be a big piece, obviously, but they don't know. Then they have a couple other young guys that maybe they can fill a role, maybe they can't. But if you just keep adding those borderline fringe guys that are young and they never get the chance to kind of play a season out as the guy – you're never going to know what you have. That's, You're just going to constantly point. be shuffling young guys in and out. And that's the issue. If you weren't going to take a tackle at the top of this draft that was going to be a cornerstone guy like you think Jonah Williams is going to be, then... You're right back in that same spot that you are with some of these other, you know. I, I they like Trey Hopkins a lot, but are you sold that he's he's a dominant piece? I don't know. Michael Jordan, who knows? Sua Filo is a stopgap type guy. Um, Bobby Hart, Fred Johnson is a, a disaster over at right tackle for the most. Well, they, they want to
1: see. Honestly, they like. I think they want to see what they got in Fred Johnson. They like the way Fred played at the end of the year. I think they want to see. Can he push Bobby Hart for a starting job? And can he be the guy? Let's face and, it, and in that's this what league. I- if you go back and look, and I'd have to look at, at, at how recent offensive lines were constructed, I'll bet you a lot of these Super Bowl teams, you look up and you go, wait a minute, they've got an undrafted guy there and they've got a six-round guy there and they made the Super Bowl? It just, it, it's such a crapshoot. We talk about crapshoots with quarterbacks. I swear anymore with offensive linemen, is a crapshoot.
0: Oh, it definitely is, and, and that makes sense at that position. I mean, look, it's not like you can look at an offensive lineman and go, yeah, there's an elite athlete. They're all fat guys. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you, you have to go off this college film that maybe the system they were in just was great for them, but they're not really a dominant player or vice versa. Maybe they were a guy who, who can be really good one-on-one, but he was in some weird scheme in college that didn't really utilize him the best or coaches that didn't know how to draw the best out of him. It's a weird uh, skill set that you're asking of guys when they play on the offensive line. So it makes sense that you're going to have so much randomness to whether they work out or not. But you know, the, going back to Fred Johnson, Bobby Hart, that's my, exactly my point. I mean, Fred Johnson, just another guy where it's like, Do you have something or don't you? You just don't know yet. So let's find out. Right. So let's take a year to find out. Is Jonah Williams a guy? You think he is, but does he look like a guy? If so, great. You can build off of that. And I think Trey Hopkins is a guy they're planning on building off of, whether he's a star or not. He's, He's solid, I think. And then from there, you don't know yet. So figure out if you've got one or two more pieces and how many you need to go after next year. And then maybe next year's first round pick is a tackle to, to stir up the right side of that line. Or maybe it's a guard um, to, to go on the interior, either left or right side, to replace Jordan or Suofilo or whoever. So I, I like this plan because, yes, you absolutely need to improve the offensive line for the future. But right now there's just so many bodies in a jumble there that if you weren't going to take a guy at the top of the draft that was clearly better than those guys, then it's worth seeing what you have in them first.
1: Yeah, and I think the other part, too, is if you've upgraded your defense, do you need to score 26 points a game to win? Maybe you only need to start scoring in the low 20s to win games. Maybe
0: you can actually – Well, but that's i mean—that's not a winning recipe yeah. to say, but, let's but, limit but, ourselves.
1: But, no, but you're allowed to win games 17 to 13. Sure, sure. And, and I mean, with too, Joe I Mixon mean, – They significantly addressed the defensive side of the football. And, and T. Higgins and, and, and A.J. coming back, and, and obviously Joe Burrow, you've, you've done some good things.
0: Yeah, I think there's no doubt about it. So I, I think, again, the, the, the praise that they're receiving is reasonable. A lot of it does have to do with Joe Burrow. But at the same time, I do think they, they really executed their plan well. And whether it works out or not is, is kind of besides the point right now. Because the, the only thing you can ask for is that they had a good plan going in and, and they sort of stuck to it. Because a lot of years it seemed like that wasn't the case and they were just kind of uh, throwing Graspy. darts at a board randomly.
1: Yeah, and, and I think it started in free agency. I mean, they felt like, it looked like they, whether I like the plan of signing DJ Reader for that kind of money or not, that's who they targeted, that's who they wanted, that's who they got, and then they added pieces around that. And and, and then, then in addition to the draft, it felt like there was a good off-season plan. I will agree with that.
0: Well, there was no suspense over what they would do with the number 1 overall pick, but there was plenty of conversation surrounding their first pick in the second round, number 33 overall. They ended up with Clemson wide receiver T. Higgins with that pick and went on to draft three linebackers, a defensive end, and an offensive tackle. With so many holes, there were a lot of ways the rest of the draft could have played out after drafting Burrow Skinny. What was your favorite pick made by the Bengals? I thought Davis
1: Gaither. I mean, I I, I got on Twitter about thirty minutes before the this, the fourth round started, and I was I was thumping the the drum for him. Uh, he just he has a lot of upside. He feels like he feels like a today's type of linebacker, um, who you know at Appy State you kind of fly under the radar a little bit. Um, son of a coach, team captain. That seemed to be a theme in this draft for this team. They took I think sixteen captains out of the seven picks. Um, and I don't think that's by coincidence. I think that was part of the part of the formula. A guy they saw in the senior bowl, a lot of, a lot of things. That, that, to me, was, was by far my, my favorite pick of all. I will say in my mock draft, um, I got two picks right out of, out of seven. I think uh, the last couple of years I've gotten three of the seven, but this year I only got two of them right. But the other one I nailed, I believe, I got, I got the six-round kid perfectly right, Hakeem Um I don't know how I stumbled upon him, but I, I did. So I guess that has to be in there as among my favorite picks because it's the one
0: I mocked. <laughs> Very well done, um, especially on a six-round offensive tackle from Kansas, the, right. the football powerhouse that they are. I think mine has to be the combo of sticking around for that 33rd pick instead of trading back, which everyone suggested that they do, it seemed like, and then pairing that with back-to-back linebackers right after. Because with that 33rd pick, what they, if they were going to trade back, they were likely to take depth piece at the linebacker position. That's right. probably what they were going to target right there based off of how they they went in rounds three and four. You didn't have a guy right there at 33rd that you could take from the linebacker group. So I like the fact that they were willing to say, we want a difference maker with this pick. It's exactly what I wanted them to do, and they felt T. Higgins was that guy. They went ahead and, and stuck there and took him and then said, but we still want our depth guys at linebacker right here. We're going to make a serious commitment to that with the third third round and fourth round picks, I thought that was was really well done. Yeah,
1: and, and as much as this was a deep wide receiver group, I mean, uh, the, the kid from Minnesota, I'm drawing a blank on his first name, the Johnson kid who went to Tampa Bay in like the fifth round. I love the guy. I think the kid's going to be a great player. I think Antonio Gandy-Golden from Liberty who was a fourth round pick. is going to be a great player. Um, and, and so as deep as this draft was at wide receiver, where you could have gotten maybe a guy in the third, fourth, or fifth round, Linebacker-wise, there really weren't a lot of second-round guys. I mean, no. the, for, for a bit, it looked like Patrick Queen from LSU was going to slip out of the first round, and he didn't. Uh, and Baltimore plucked him at 29. I think it would have been interesting to see what they would have done had he been there at the top of the, of the, of the second round. But it w- went back to what we talked about last week. In, in theory, yeah, trade that second-round pick back, unless you had a guy on your board where you looked and you went, wow, that, that guy's still there. It's a position we want to address it's a guy who can be a difference maker for us. Uh, we gotta do it. And so I I again I applaud that portion of it. Whether T because we I, I I saw a lot of nitpicking of T Higgins after the pick was made in the last few days of yeah, hey, look what Jeff Okuda did to him, man. He doesn't get separation against top flight corners, and he's he's not an overburner. And there's I mean the, the the nitpicking starts to come in. But listen, he had a first round grade. He just happened to be whatever ranked sixth among those first round wide receivers. Uh, and, and so I, I, have no problem with it whatsoever. Tyler Boyd was a second round pick. He's worked out pretty well to this point. Um, so, uh, yeah, again, it would have come down to Rick if, if, at 33, they'd looked and gone, I, we just don't have a guy, let's go back and, and you've got to have a trade part. I mean, somebody else has to offer you something of value for that pick as well. And that may not have happened, but if it was a the guy they targeted and after day one looked and said, Hey, let's just do it. He's there. We have him 17th on our board. We have him 23rd on our board. We, we like that. There's, there's really no other value to get with 33. Let's do it. I, I'm fine with that.
0: Yeah, I, and there was this moment right around when they were making that pick. And, and, like, obviously you can say, okay, well, they all know they're on camera and they're playing it up, whatever. But to be honest with you, I didn't see a lot of that. It felt like in terms of the cameras that ESPN was checking in on that were just set up there static on all the time, it seemed like not a lot of people understood when they were on or not because because there wasn't a lot going on a lot of times when they checked in on them but i, right- I think there was i think there was a delay too i really believe that i think the delay oh, for sure. factor for them w- was was factored into that as well but after zach taylor he, he was on the phone at one point right before they made the higgins pick he got off the phone I, I think his wife was in the room or she she walked in the room or something and he had this like just bleeding <laughs> grin on his face and, and sort of did this like we got our guy or something to that effect you could see him mouth it um it was just like seemed like that was exactly who they were planning on targeting with that pick the fact that he had slipped to him they were they were really excited about um it just it was it was sort of a reaction that we didn't see for most of the other picks through throughout the draft from them and I thought that was interesting that he seemed so excited about getting T Higgins so we'll see ultimately if it works out but I liked that plan of attack um skinny you already mentioned that the uh the Khaled Kareem pick was one that you kind of questioned. Is there anything else that you could nitpick here?
1: No, I, I you know, you, you could argue, do you really need another linebacker in the seventh round? But, but they do. I mean, oh, uh, yeah. I, I talked about it before the draft, Rick. They only had four guys on the roster going into the draft that play linebacker, and it's Jermaine Pratt with eight career starts. Josh Bynes, and we can agree, career journeyman, 47 starts in nine years. That's not exactly a solid starter, but okay, that was a good enough get. Jordan Evans, 76 defensive snaps last year for a reason. They know he's a career backup, and and he's a good special teams player. He'll be on this roster. And Brady Sheldon, who's never taken a defensive snap in an NFL game. Those are your four linebackers going into the draft. You needed to at least get two. You got a third, and it's a third that, in a worst-case scenario, because he's coming off the knee injury, although he says he's going to be okay and is trending in that direction, but – you know, it, it still takes about a year to get yourself back. You can give him a red shirt year. Um, and with the potential, I, he was Daniel Jeremiah, who I think both of us like. I know I like him. Yeah, um, I think he's really good. I I think it was him that said, you know, in, if this guy's healthy, he's got second-round quality tape. That's pretty good for a seventh-round pick.
0: Yeah, people seem to be really high on his um, potential. Now, granted, they're, you're coming off a major knee injury, and he wasn't a dominant athlete to begin with. So, it, you know, I, I think – there's definitely the potential that it doesn't work out, but that's a seventh-round pick. That's the nature of it. You know, I mean, the fact that he has some upside it makes it an intriguing pick overall. I think when you look at the whole linebacker situation, you're going to keep seven linebackers. So, I mean, what, the, the fact that you were taking depth pieces either way here, like, maybe you get a, a safety or someone else as an extra special teams guy, but you're still probably going to need a few more bodies at the linebacker position no doubt you just take your chances that one of these guys are kind of a diamond in the rough that can that can give you a few years as a an nfl caliber linebacker
1: yeah and they even plucked a guy off of waivers on on tuesday a veteran who's who's got eight or nine starts in in the league and and then also signed a one undrafted college free agent linebacker because you need bodies at the position to sort it out somebody's gonna get hurt um, and again, like I said, I mean, maybe this kid gets a red shirt year when all said and done. So yeah, I, again, the only one for me like, I can nitpick is, is the claim Kareed pick just because I, the, the productivity didn't equal the measurables. And, and maybe that's just the, the way the scheme was maybe, uh, maybe he needs to be pushed more. I, again, I don't know. I know the measurables are really
0: good. He has and- some violence to him. I like that.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, there are some There's things guys to like, a bit. I, I just, I mean, five and a half sacks, that doesn't equate, equate to a guy with that kind of measurable to me, to be honest with you. But again, I, I, it, the, the measurables tell you the kid's got some upside. I know people can look and go, well, for, for 2020, he's only a fourth end. Yeah, that's right. But after 2020, Carlos Dunlop's going to be in this league 12 years. Carl Lawson's rookie contract is up, and, and then what? Right? And this, So this is a, a little preemptive strike on top of that.
0: And, and I, I'll admit, I don't have a whole lot of uh, faith in that. I think that's a position that they're definitely going to have to address next year, whether that be yes, free agency agreed. or the No, draft. agreed.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Coming into the draft, there was the expectation of a lot of technical flubs with so many moving parts, video conferences, and ESPN having to control everything remotely. However, the broadcast went off without a hitch, and the worldwide leader has gotten a lot of praise for their coverage. Skinny, what was your overall opinion of this year's draft and ESPN's production? Would you be interested in keeping this format and eliminating the live event at one central location going forward?
1: I, I liked it. I-, I know the NFL wants the live event, and, and the cities that-, that bid on it and-, and ask for it, they want the live event. It's going to Cleveland next year. Uh, they just set the dates for that, April 29th through May, the whatever, first or second, whatever, that third day, first, I guess, um, of next year. It's going to Vegas after they didn't get it this year in, in 2022. But I-, I thought ESPN, I, I thought, and-, and I'll bet you there was probably more apprehension and more hard work behind the scenes about how that was going to work than we will ever know but i thought it was great i thought the the emotion of the kids in their house with their parents might be better than them coming on stage and getting the man hug from the doofus roger goodell
0: totally agree with that
1: yeah and um look i thought goodell came off as very stiff and i mean he is he's a suit i mean he is what he is um i thought he you know I, I mean, honestly, I think he was drunk both nights. At the end of the night, I certainly think he was drunk on Friday night for sure. I mean, he looked like he'd had about five bourbons too many, and he was just done with everything. I loved. I think it was Trey Wingo after signing off said, "Cheers, Raj. I thought that was that was a that was a very subtle, awesome way to to end. Nod. That. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was, I thought it was really cool to see the, the the kids in their house and the raw reaction to that. Um, some of the raw reactions gone because the teams have already called them, right? So you're kind of acting a little bit. Um, but I still liked it. And I will tell you from a journalist standpoint, I, it, it, this didn't affect my coverage whatsoever. It no, was just I thought the coverage easy.
0: locally was great.
1: I mean, dude, we got the coaches on Zoom right after. We got each of the players. You could actually see them when you talk to them and get a little bit of their personality. And I'll be honest, six of the seven kids were, were really good. Logan Wilson was a little stiff. And look, I don't need everybody to be a great personality. You are what you are. Um, you know, even the, I thought the seventh round kid, I thought he was awesome to talk to. He was great. Uh, very personable, very intelligent. Um, just you know, understood why he was taken in the seventh round. Talked about the injury, was forthcoming. I just, I thought it was was great. I, if you ask me, my brothers, if you're gonna let me cover, it, look, it, it's a it's a grind uh, to cover that draft. Trust me. Sunday, I woke up, it felt like I was hit with a baseball bat, a two by four, and, and an eighteen wheeler. But it, it's part of my job. Um, but it was awful Thank nice for to cover. Yeah, it was awful nice to cover it in a t shirt, shorts, and a ball cap, and not shave for three days.
0: Yeah. No, I mean we've talked about how that's become to a certain extent, you know, there are occasions when maybe there's an injury and you kind of want to be with the team on the road or something like that, but for the most part the the beat writer has very little advantages Traveling with the team, and that's not just a, a NFL thing. That's college basketball. Um, you know, I've I see that same thing all the time with Xavier, where it's like because it's know, so
1: they, sterile. It's just a sterile. It's not you can't go up to a guy in his locker anymore. They don't want you to do that. They want to bring them to you in a, in a in a setting they control and they can control the circumstance. And I get that, but but you're right. There really isn't an advantage to that any longer.
0: Well, and you have to be traveling and everything. I mean, you you are on this this time constraint. You're constantly sort of under the gun when you're on the road as opposed to being in the, you know, the, the comfort comfort of your own house, gr- grabbing a, a drink and, and sitting down at your coffee table with the TV in the background and Google at your fingertips the entire time. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it does make things easier from a coverage standpoint.
1: And that's the difference anymore, Rick, is, is 25 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe even 15 years ago. Not every game was on TV. Everything's on TV now. I mean, was there, was there a singular, single Xavier game this year that was not on TV somewhere? No, they're all nationally televised. Actually. Right. I mean, exactly. I mean, that, that's the point. It used to be you had to go because you had to be there to see it in person.
0: No, I mean, it's it's completely changed in that regard. And I think the big thing is is what you mentioned, is that there used to be a lot of value in being there and developing one-on-one relationships and and getting that banter back and forth during some downtime or when you're just hanging out. But that just doesn't happen anymore. Everyone is so worried about every little thing and controlling the message and the PR game yep. that you just don't get enough out of it for all the money that you're going to put forth. And, and to get back to the original point, I thought the coverage locally of the draft was tremendous. It was such a big day for the franchise, and given the fact that everyone's on lockdown and quarantine's taking place and every sports fan was watching the draft, it really felt like a big event, and I thought the local media did just a fantastic job of getting every angle covered and and producing some really good stuff and even some unique stuff, despite the fact that you're all trying to write about the same exact guys and and storylines.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I tip my cap to the, to the Bengals PR people, too. I mean, the Zoom stuff they did, it was immediate. There was very little downtime to it. It was a little longer than normal because um, they gave you set windows of, you know, 20 minutes with this guy. And it felt like some of the questions at the end got inane to the point of we don't have to take all 20 minutes, people. If we're done after 12, it's we're allowed to be done after 12. <laughs> right. But yeah, but other than that, no, it was great.
0: Did you watch the ESPN broadcast or the ABC broadcast? I hadn't. I didn't realize in in real time that there were two different shows going on.
1: No, I watched the ESPN one. So did uh, I. It just it, it it's the one I. I usually would flip between that NFL Network and they had basically the same the same one. Um, and for me, a lot of times, once the Bengals pick is made, the sound on my TV goes down and I don't look up for another. I mean, it feels like I'm getting done writing about one pick and I look up, and it's about five picks to the next one, which is good. I mean, it was the, the timing of it honestly worked out beautifully for me, personally, especially on that Saturday when you get the four picks. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, it's funny. I have to When I get done, I have to actually look back and go, all right, who got taken the last 15 picks because I, I don't get a chance to see it. But, yeah, I had ESPN up basically the whole time.
0: Yeah, I did too. So we're, we're talking about the same thing there then. And I, and I think from a technical standpoint, the people behind the scenes just did an incredible job. I mean, there were no – Technical glitches that I noticed throughout the the few hours that I watched and was pretty focused on it most of the time and and was tweeting and looking for stuff and really there was just no funny moments because of technical things that happened you know there was no, you the, know, the, like you said Roger looking stiff occasionally and a kid coming out in his robe and things like that but like the the one kid grabbing his uh, phone away from his girlfriend yeah but uh, <laughs> but other than that uh, uh, there you know there, nothing that had to do with uh, their stuff not working.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think the only awkward moment, I think it was Trey Wingo asked a question of, a, of the Octabox, which is a little too much. I don't need eight different people analyzing one pick. Um, and the question was asked, and I think all eight people nodded instead of one person answering. That was, a, that was a little awkward, but I think some of it too is you got eight people and you're going, who's jumping in first? And I don't want to have six of us jump in at one time. And that's why that Octabox sometimes is a, it's a little much for me.
0: Yeah, without question. I, so uh, that was one of my issues too, was the amount of analysts that they had on the on the draft, and some of them were just absolutely terrible. My, mean,
1: Michael, Paul, Michael, Michael Irvin and Deion Sanders are a waste of time.
0: Well, and uh, Lewis Riddick, I think, he they came to him after the Bengals picked Joe Burrow. Mind you, you've had months to know what was coming here, and this is the first time that you're really talking about a pick being taken of the day, so it's not like you're worn out or fatigued by all the conversation yet. They come to him, and he says something to the effect of, Well, Joe Burrow can do some really, really good things. How is that the first words out of your mouth as an analyst on the biggest stage, the biggest night with all those eyeballs on you, the first question you get asked, and that's what you're saying? That's the filler you say about a seventh-round guy who you haven't ever seen before. That's not what you say about
1: Joe Burrow. It's funny you say that. I like Lewis Riddick a lot. I, I think he's an intelligent guy, and he gives a lot of good analysis most times. But, but I, it's funny. Some, some of those picks late in the draft, the sixth and seventh round guys, when I did put the sound back up, yeah, he does some really good things. I thought, does everybody do? I guess, I guess everybody does if they're getting drafted. They do some really good things. Um, but can you give me a little more specifics than that? And it felt like he did that with a lot of guys.
0: Well, and, and again – In the seventh round, when you haven't watched any of them play and you're fatigued by the conversation already, totally understand you're just passing time. You're keeping the show going. When it's the first pick of the draft, you knew exactly who was going to take him, what was coming, and he put on the best display we've seen by a quarterback in the history of college football in his final two games. You don't have anything more than saying really, really and things in the first sentence. Like, that's... That's rough. you got to be better than that. Daniel Jeremiah should have been the guy doing most of the talk. Get one or two other guys in there with them that know what the hell they're saying. But not only that, know how to present it in a a fashion that is consumable and interesting to listen to. They, they've got to get that figured out. But I would be totally for doing this style draft going forward. I love the shots in the players' homes. I thought that was way more genuine and, and cool to see like, Joe Burrow there on the, the couch with his parents and just felt like so Midwest. I mean that felt like every one of our homes growing up. You right? did. No, the, you're right. Like exactly. Chucky. With the, the bad was, cur- with the bad curtains, the bad yeah. couch. I mean, all of it. I, I loved that moment. So yeah, I would be all for this style going forward, but just narrow down the amount of analysts that you have and, and get the couple elite guys on there.
1: Yeah, to wrap to wrap this 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 uh, topic up, I did think I can't remember Jeremiah who it was, but uh, there was a long snapper picked you know late in the draft and they asked about analysis and whoever it was, I think it was Jeremiah, I think, I could be wrong, whoever it was, said, listen, I analyzed a lot of guys. He goes, I analyzed a lot of guys at LSU. I know who this guy is, but I'll be honest. My life is bad. It's not bad enough to have
0: notes on a long snapper. And I thought, that's that, <laughs> that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. The only other thing I would have um, had issue, taken issue with is the amount of, like, sad stories and constantly bringing up, like, we're, we're in this together and then bringing the military stuff into it, which is what the NFL does at every turn. They, they try out the military and say, we support the troops, which is their thing. I get it. But there was just way too much of the feel good PR stuff going on. That felt totally disingenuous at this time. It was the, like,
1: the only thing that bugged me was, was when the Luke Bryan concert broke out. I, I had, I had enough of that. that yeah. Yeah. That was, that was in the fourth round. I thought, what are we doing? What are we doing? uh final and I'm, still t- tr- and I'm still trying to figure out what is her h period e period r period she played too or their group played or whatever it is see i
0: i, I don't I feel know like i'm asking
1: is. people that should know who that was i've asked my my college-age daughter I had no idea who her was my my uh mid-20s daughter didn't know who her was and now i'm i'm you're usually my music guy you don't yeah. know who her was
0: oh i have no idea i didn't see that happen and i've never heard of that group or person or her or, 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 her. Yeah, or, her. or her yeah yeah uh, let's, let's wrap up the draft talk real quick. Uh, ESPN did receive some criticism after the draft for focusing on tragedies that have happened to drafted players' families, including deaths, struggles against West Nile virus, homelessness, and in the case of the Bengals' T. Higgins, his mother's drug abuse, which ESPN later apologized for. Higgins tweeted that he didn't mind ESPN posting the graphic and showing the world that his mom was a, quote, true fighter, in a separate statement, the network said its draft coverage is designed to introduce the human side of the players by telling their stories, including the obstacles their families have overcome as part of their journey to the NFL. Skinny, does it bother you that ESPN includes notes about the players' personal tragedies on their graphics as the players are drafted?
1: No, I, I'm sorry it doesn't. Maybe that doesn't feel right. Maybe it doesn't sound right. But that's, that's part of journalism, of telling that, that backstory, and it makes that person um, a lot of times more interesting. And and sometimes there is a sad backstory and sometimes it's not a feel good backstory. Um, you know, some of it was for, 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 you know, like a Jeff Okuda losing his mother to cancer. Um, that's sad. Um, for T Higgins, that's tragic. Um, but it is part of the story. And, um, I, 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 I know some people may not find it relevant. I I think it is relevant. I think it is what, what that's part of telling the story.
0: so I think there are a couple parts to this and there there are layers to it, but on the, just the note of it's part of the story. I don't know if I really agree that like on the day of he, him becoming a professional football player, that something his mother got in trouble for decades ago is part of that story. I, like if he had gotten in trouble in college and there were red flags about his character, then okay. Yeah. Maybe you tell a story about him getting in trouble. But to me, this isn't like a, something about journalism where you need to tell the story. Now, I do think like you can add some depth and and show like, look at what this kid overcame to get to where he is. I think the issue that ESPN runs into is when you put it in a line on the player graphic, it just seems very insensitive. It's curt, it's out of context. And when it just says, you know, um, sister was a basketball player at middle Tennessee state or wherever she played. And then the next line is mother dealt with drug abuse or mother abused drugs or something like that, whatever it said. And that, that second little bullet point to me, it's like, that's probably not the way to tell that story. If you need to tell that story and you want to add depth to who T. Higgins is from a journalistic perspective or an editorial perspective, I think it needs to be done in like one of those pre-produced packages.
1: Maybe, I mean, you've got between picks and between analysis of picks, you've got two to three minutes to tell that player's story to a national audience. Um, And I think you have to find ways to do that. And sometimes that's the way to do it. It just has to be quick. It's got to be on there. But then Again, I just have no problem. I think it is. I do. I think it is.
0: I I don't, again, I just think you run it. You're going to, here's, okay, whether it is or not, I think you can avoid this situation of getting screenshotted and everyone yelling at you on social media if you don't put it in a nice graphic for them to screenshot. If you have your analyst maybe tell the story and and give some of like, hey, he told me at the senior bowl or whatever that he, he dealt with this and it was a hard time. Again, it needs context. I think when you just have it there in a bullet point right underneath two really positive things, like ACC player of the year, um, sister plays basketball somewhere, mother was a drug addict. It just doesn't really make sense to include that in a graphic like that. And I get where why people screenshot that and say, why are you doing this? At the same time, like T. Higgins doesn't have a huge problem with them. I don't think it's like the end of the world to say, hey, his mom was a drug addict. She overcame it. It's a big part of their their life story and it's great that he's in he's in the NFL now it's a a great backstory
1: yeah I guess it it didn't bother me I get if it bothered a a kid and he wants
0: to say something about it um, but it didn't bother me all right the uh, sportsbook betonline.ag has made Burrow the favorite to win NFL offensive rookie of the year at five to two odds clearly ahead of the next closest favorite Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa who is eight to one odd Wide receiver T Higgins, who was the Bengals second round choice in the draft was given odds of 22 to one skinny. What do you think Burroughs chances are of actually winning NFL offensive rookie of the year with the NFL's worst team?
1: Um, Again, we're assuming he starts from day one, which is probably a safe assumption. And if you're assuming that you're assuming they're going to stick with him through thick and thin, unless the thin is Ryan Finley bad. And I don't expect it to be Ryan Finley bad because he's not Ryan Finley and he's not bad. So I think there's a decent chance uh, of that. They also set uh, some over unders for him too. Uh, one for passing yards of 3,800, which I thought was an awful high to set for a rookie quarterback.
0: Um, I don't know if he reaches that level, but well, I think we're going to get to those over unders in a second.
1: Yeah, I think he's got. I think he's got obviously the best chance to do it just because of that. There's a couple of running backs I liked odds wise that I'd probably take a flyer on. I like Ceedee Lamb. I think it's 14 or 16 to one just because you know he's going to play opposite Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott's going to get attention that CeeDee Lamb would have a chance to have a, a, a big year. But look, if, if Joe Burrow does what people expect Joe Burrow to do and put up some of those numbers, yeah, I think he's the favorite. I think you know, Tua is the second choice, and we don't even know how when Tua might start for Miami. Might it come week three, week five, week seven, week 14, week never? Um, so, yeah, I, I think, Joe, I, those odds feel right to me, five to two and a clear-cut favorite to win offensive rookie of the year.
0: What what do the Colts have at running back? Is Jonathan Taylor going to start Marlon for them? Marlon Mac Marlon Mac. Okay, so I mean that, that's what I'm I'm kind of interested. Like there were no running backs at the top here. I, was, I guess Jonathan Taylor is third here.
1: Yeah, I think Edwards Hilaire was up there too. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, um, who went to Kansas City, just because of how. Uh, and again, they had obviously Damian Williams in the Super Bowl, but they they utilized the you know multiple backs a lot of different times. So. Uh, perhaps he's one. I'm gonna. I got. I've got it right here because I put the story online. Rick, let me find a couple. And of DeAndre these guys.
0: Swift is with the Lions, right? Yeah, he's 12 to one.
1: Um, you know, that's the thing. If you go down this list, I mean, Clyde edwards lair is gonna play in a multi-back system. Jonathan Taylor probably two. Um, DeAndre Swift probably two. Then Jerry Judy at 12 to one. That's a pretty good one. Justin Herbert's the next at 12 to one with Judy. We don't know when Justin Herbert's gonna start if at all. So that's where you start to look at these guys and you go five to two feels right.
0: Well, and it just feels like quarterbacks are the obvious choices for awards if if it's even close because it's so much easier for them to put up numbers than it is for like a running back now because everyone splits carries and they don't run the ball all that much to begin with anymore. So, yes, I, I get that. But at the same time, I, I feel like the likelihood of running backs making an immediate impact is a lot greater too just yes, because you're yes. trying to get everything out of them right away while they still have legs before you get rid of them when their their second deal comes around.
1: Yeah, I, I think the fear, though, is like you said, it, it, it's any more in this league. It's a multi-back league. I mean, how many times have, have, have people probably played a New England Patriots running back one week on their fantasy team, only to see Belichick pull the okey-doke and it feature the other guy that week for whatever reason? It, it feels like it happens all the time. I think some wide receivers can come in and make immediate impacts too, but I think it goes back to, I don't know when Tagovailo is going to start. I don't know when Herbert's going to start. I do know when Joe Burrow's probably going to start, which is going to be week one, um, and they're going to ride with him barring injury. So yeah, I, I just, again, if I'm looking for value, CD Lamb at 14 to 1 is my guy, and I would probably plunk a, a, a C-note on him and be done
0: with it. Yeah, I I like that call as well. Uh, let's go ahead and play the over-under game with Burrow. The following totals were set for the rookie quarterback. You mentioned 3,800 yards passing. You going over or under that number?
1: I'm going under. I mean, that's, just, that's a big number. I know the Bengals will throw the ball a, a chunk. That's just kind of what this offense does. But to get to 3,800 yards, you're probably going to have to throw it 30 to 35 times a game. Are you really going to do that with a rookie quarterback? With Are we Joe really and Gio yeah, Bernard in your correct, backfield? Correct. Yeah. Are we really going to drop him back 30, 35 times a game as a rookie? I i, I just don't see it. Even Rick. if you're
0: I, losing, I just don't see yeah, doing
1: I, that. I, I, I don't. I mean, uh, look, I, I think Andy went over that number once um, in his career. I think he got the 4,000 once. And he might have gone over 3,800 another time or so. 3,800 is a pretty big number. I mean, do the math on that. That's. Uh, that's what, that's 200 and, uh, 250 yards a game on average, 240 yards a game on average. That, that's, I mean, you're going to have a game where, no offense, fans, be ready for this. You're going to have a Joe Burrow 9 for 24, two picks and 133. You're going to have that game. It's just, it's going to happen. I'm sorry, it's going to happen. Um, and, and so to, to make up for that game, you're going to need a couple of 350-yard passing games. That's a lot for a rookie, bro.
0: Yeah, it is Andy Dalton did it twice by the way. He threw okay, for 4200 yards twice in his career, once in 2013 and once in 2016. Um I was trying to pull up the uh the passing yards for this past year to see where that would where that would rank real quick here.
1: I was going to say I, I let me I'm going to do this off the top of my head as you do that. I'm going to say out of the NFL quarterbacks, I'll say
0: how many threw for more than uh
1: 3800?
0: Yeah. yeah. I'll say eight. 14 actually okay. did. All right. uh, Baker Mayfield hit that number. He threw for 38-27. He's the cutoff line between him and Kyler Murray. Um, Deshaun Watson, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Rodgers. Okay, so, so
1: what, what, what did Kyler Murray throw for?
0: Kyler Murray threw for 3,700 as a rookie. Okay,
1: and he was the focal point of that offense, correct? Correct. <laughs> okay, point well taken.
0: Yeah, I mean, exa- exactly right. I mean, he threw, threw the ball uh, 542 times. So, right. that, uh,
1: that, is, that is roughly, that's 34, 35 times a game. I think it's doing the kid a disservice.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think a, a lot of people would agree if they watched the Cardinals last year. Carson Wentz, Derek Carr, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan, Philip Rivers, Jared Goff, Dak Prescott, and Jameis Winston – the other quarterbacks who threw for over 3,800 yards this past season. So, yeah, I mean, I've got to go under on that number. That just seems yep. like a really high number. If you would have set it at about 36, 35, right. then I would then, then I would feel really uncomfortable betting the under in today's the, NFL.
1: The other part to this, too, and, again, I'm not wishing this on anybody, so don't take this the wrong way. Um, you're also then assuming he plays all 16 games, too, that he's healthy for sure. all 16 starts. That's a hell of an assumption. With that
0: offensive line.
1: Right. That's a hell of an assumption to make.
0: Yeah. Uh, over under 24 and a half touchdown passes for joe burrow i think i 'm going to go
1: slightly under um, i 'll go i 'll go twenty twenty ish twenty two ish i, I don 't think i think I think I'm, i, I 'd play the passing yardage number under i don 't think i'd touch this one if you made me go make a wager on it, but if I was leaning i 'd lean towards the under
0: yeah by the way, Andy Dalton has done that four times in his career gone over that number. One of them was his, his second season in the NFL, by the way, but his rookie year he did not get there. He threw for uh, 20 touchdowns that year. Uh, looking at the NFL guys from last year, it looks like the cutoff there is Tom Brady and Daniel Jones were the last two. There were 14 guys total to throw for 24 or more touchdowns last season so um well actually 24 would be just under the number so tom brady and daniel jones did not make that cut last year
1: if you're if i'm leaning i'm leaning under i just um he's got weapons though that's the one thing he does have he's got some weapons that can get into the end zone drew sample uh yeah he's not one of them i'm 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 (laughs) gonna lean under there rick
0: all right how about the interceptions at 16 and a half
1: i'm gonna go under there too i mean i the one thing i look if, if I'm I'm not overly sold on Joe Burrow like everybody else is like he's the next coming of Tom Brady and he could be the greatest of all time but I do know this even if I have my criticisms of him one of the the I guess one of the positives I can say about him throughout his career even that that year two years ago where you're like yeah those numbers weren't great they weren't but you know what he also didn't do? He didn't throw interceptions that year either. He's really good at taking care of the football. I'll go under.
0: Yeah, I think uh, just about every fan in Cincinnati is going to to rush to the sportsbook as soon as they open or, or maybe head online to bet online, AG, and uh, plunk down some money on that because Andy Dalton – only threw more than 16 interceptions twice in his career. Last year in the NFL, there were only three quarterbacks that did that. Uh, I think everyone expects Joe Burrow to have a little bit more poise and presence than, than Dalton did and, and certainly not be one of the bottom three in, in interceptions. Do,
1: do you have, what, what did, how many did Daniel Jones throw? And he did not start all year, so we got to give a caveat on that number too. Uh, a little Daniel, bit. Same for touchdown passes. But yeah, yeah, how many...
0: Daniel Jones started 12 games and he threw 12 interceptions. Okay, all right. So yeah. he was 24 and 12.
1: Now, Daniel Jones did have some fumble issues, but that's not part of this wager here. Uh, Kyler again, like Murray said, also
0: threw 12, by the way.
1: That's, and that's a, I, I, You know, I would have guessed way over that. If you so just did I. He was number. 20
0: and 12, which isn't yeah. really that bad. I would have expected Yeah, Like, I, that like I said,
1: whatever criticisms you have of Burrow arm strength, whether you believe last year's numbers were a fluke and a one-year wonder, again, I still would go back to that year two years ago where the numbers weren't off the charts, but you also look and go, dude, only threw five picks that year, too. I mean, he does take care of the football very, very well.
0: Yeah, I think that 16.5 is the best bet on the board here. I would, I, I'd I, go under that number even before the under 3,800 passing yards.
1: I think I'd go the under on both of those, and I'd skip the uh, the touchdown pass bet.
0: Same here. All right, Skinny, at its meeting this week, the NCAA Board of Governors supported rule changes to allow student-athletes to receive compensation for third-party endorsements both related to and separate from athletics. It also supports compensation for other student-athlete opportunities, such as social media, businesses they have started, and personal appearances within the guiding principles originally outlined by the board in October. The board's recommendations now will move to the rules-making structure in each of the NCAA's three divisions for farther consideration. Divisions are expected to adopt new name, image, and likeness rules by January to take effect at the start of the 2021-22 academic year, which essentially means that Student-athletes are finally going to be able to make money off their image and likeness, like we've been talking about for years on our various uh, podcasts. What are your takeaways from how this is all going to play out?
1: Yeah, it's something that we've talked about that, that should, be, should have been done, should be done, and it looks like it's going to be done. Now, I, I do wonder this. Now, you do have to have a minimum scholarship limit to be considered Division One. You have to offer a minimum amount of scholarships, But I also wonder, this is the cynical side of me. The the one part of me says, look, this was coming and it's the right thing to do. And regardless of of COVID-19, that this was probably going to be passed anyway. The cynical part of me also says that this was passed with the idea of if, if budget concerns come about because there's no college football, because they just missed this NCAA tournament. I think I saw Texas Tech just cut its athletic budget by $7 million. At what point does that impact scholarships? And now you tell a kid, listen, all we can get, the NCA maybe they cut back to 50 full scholarships. I don't think that's going to happen, but maybe they do. Maybe, maybe they go to them and go, look, we can't pay for all these scholarships. You're going to have to set the minimum number is going to have to go backwards. So you can offer 50 fulls, 30 partials. And part of that is, listen, kid, you're still getting some money to come to college and you can go make money on your own too. So, so have at it. That's the cynical part of me. The other part of me says, this was coming. It's the right thing to do. I, I have no problem with it. And I don't know how anybody can argue with it, to be quite frank.
0: Yeah. And even, even from that cynical point of view, like, the last guy, last couple guys on your roster filling out those partial scholarships or guys who aren't even on scholarship, they're not the ones who are going to benefit from making money off their image and likeness. No, anyway, but, but
1: the thing time. is, Rick, they, they can also at that point go get a job too. And I don't I, that yeah, but, I, don't, I don't mean this to be callous because you can't do that currently. You can't even go, if you want to even go make money, you're still not allowed to do that in your season sport. You can't do anything.
0: Well, you're not allowed to by the rules, but the reality of the situation is these guys couldn't do, I mean, unless there's a few entrepreneurs out there who maybe either started a, a YouTube channel and has a, have a social media following, or they have some type of other weird yeah, business right. that they started with friends or something where they are legitimately an entrepreneur. But aside from that, the people who don't have some side gig that sort of, they can do randomly like that. You don't have time to go work some summer job or something when you're on an NCAA division one basketball team. That's no, I'm there's great. just no way to yeah. do that yeah, um, realistically. So, and, and have a chance to actually compete in your sport. So, um, Yeah, look, uh, there's other things like players are going to be taxed now on that money. Some of these guys are going to, my guess is they will just be essentially like um, 1099 private contractors, similar to, you know, stuff we've done media wise, when you do a random freelance gig for someone and you get taxed on that money at, you know, either quarterly, if you're doing it regularly or at the end of the year, when you, when you file for your taxes, some of these guys are going to find out how much it sucks as a college kid to only earn 10 grand for the year. And then pay taxes on that ten grand at the end of the year if you didn't put put it away, you know, to pay wait, your wait,
1: taxes. You mean the government takes this money away from me? Yeah,
0: yes, yeah. yes, they do. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how some of that plays out. But uh, from from, I think the big thing is in America, you should have the opportunity to go out and like again. The, one of the big things that I think these players get now, with the benefit of playing NCAA athletics, is the platform of it. And with the way social media works in this country and the internet, you can, you can build yourself a legit, uh, maybe not a career necessarily, for some it could be, but if nothing else, just a, a sort of a pathway. And it's a, it's a social media following is its own currency. In today's day and age and you can really set yourself up well even if it's just from a PR perspective and essentially make your social media your resume piece out there currently guys aren't allowed to do that they're not allowed to promote the fact that they play division one athletics and use that on a YouTube channel or or something like that so um, the fact that they can now do that try to sell some ads uh, it's a it's a very good thing and something that I think a lot of them will be able to take advantage of. And at the same time, a lot of them will find out it's not all it was cracked up to be in, in a lot of their minds.
1: Yeah, but again, when you get a chance to, to make money off of your, your likeness and image, you should be allowed to do that. I mean, my, my daughter is a dance theater major at, at Kentucky. You know what she does in the summertime? She performs in, in productions. And guess what she gets for that? She gets paid for that. Um, she actually was starting, if, if not for COVID-19, she would have started a, a theater production in April where she was going to get paid while she was still finishing this semester out. I well, mean,
0: you know, that's part of it. And, and don't you think, you know, Joe Burrow could have ran a pro camp no. like just like they do in the NFL where they have all these kids come up and, and pay X amount of dollars to attend? Correct. That's something that they'll be allowed to do now. And right. uh, that'll be a huge benefit to a lot of these kids, especially the ones with a, a huge national audience.
1: Yeah, no, I, I again, I the downfall is none. And, and that, I think the old argument was, well, colleges can't pay for this. They're not paying for it. So don't worry about it.
0: Skinny, one of the big stories over the last week has been the development of the new G League pathway system, which actually isn't exactly a new system by the G League, but the way it's working is new. And they're forming a developmental team this year, which is starting to pluck some of the top high school stars that were destined for the NCAA. It's, it's causing an interesting situation because these guys are now able to, to earn upwards of half a million dollars, playing for this G League team for a year as opposed to going to, to school as a one and done, and then they can enter the NBA draft a year later. The, this team is going to go around and play a handful of exhibition games and essentially practice and work out together and prepare themselves for the NBA draft. What are your thoughts on the new G League system and its impact it'll have on college basketball?
1: You're taking some good players away from college basketball, but honestly, I don't think it impacts it at all. I think college basketball is going to be just fine. It, it's We're not talking about 100 and, 150 to 200 players suddenly out of the system. You're talking about a handful, and that's fine. They're one and done anyway. You're going to see them for a year, and then they're going to be gone anyway. Look, would I would I have been disappointed not to see Zion at Duke? Sure, I, I probably would have been. But you know what? College basketball would have survived that year. Would have survived all these Kentucky one and duns? Yeah, it would have um, uh, look, I I, I I get it. Um, the, the, the thing that it's, it's coming to is I think we're going to get again, back to the point of we're going to stop the one and done, and if kids want to go out of high school, they can, and if not, they're just going to jump to this G League thing, and that's fine. It just okay, it opens up a spot for somebody else. I, I know some people are talking about this as the ruination of college basketball. I, I'm not buying it. Look, is it, it, it it's some talent that's gone, but okay, I, I, college basketball is going to be fine. I'm, I think Xavier fans are still going to root for Xavier. Kentucky fans are still going to root for Kentucky. Michigan State fans are going to still root for Michigan State and nobody's going to know any differently. Is it going to be disappointing for for Mick Cronin and UCLA that they lost a good player? Yeah, it's going to be disappointing, but at the end of the day, college basketball will survive. It'll be just fine.
0: Well, I am fascinated to see how Mick Cronin, since you brought it up, is able to quickly turn over his rosters from year to year now that he's working at UCLA with all of this stuff going well, on. Well,
1: The thing I'll say, Rick, is is maybe this is going to eliminate some of that where you're, you're not turning your roster over as much because a lot of these guys are going to jump to this portion of it, and now you're going to have to build more two-, three-, four-year-type rosters just out of necessity.
0: Yeah, I think this is only an option for – A handful handful of guys every year. And it's, you know, like, you bring up Zion. I think he's an interesting example, especially with the NCAA now allowing the players to make money off their image and likeness. Zion's best financial opportunity would have been going to Duke. You go to this G League, like system and, and you're playing a, cu- a handful of games and it's against some weird g league teams that nobody is going to be watching or and they're going to kill you they're going to murder you like I, I just don't think you're not going to have the same public profile as you would as a basketball player at duke you're not going to have the same ad revenue as you would as a basketball player at duke i, I think the ncaa's move to allow players to make money now will help keep players in college basketball as opposed to taking this option because $500,000 is a lot of money and for a handful of guys that will be attractive but for a guy like Zion he'll make more than $500,000 if he's a Duke basketball one of the best Duke basketball players ever so I think that that's going to come into play as well in terms of how many guys you're actually losing but when it comes down to it we've already seen what college basketball looks like without the best players stopping by for you it yes. was when they didn't have the one and done rule, and LeBron James and Kevin Garnett and Kobe Bryant, all these guys went straight to the NBA. And guess what? College basketball survived. It was fine. Because people are rooting for the laundry. They're rooting for the place that they went to school at. They're rooting for the place where they tailgate at before games and drink beer at and yell at refs and and get mad at players when they decommit and get mad at players when they leave early for the draft. They don't care about the players. They've never cared about the individual players. They've Correct. only cared about the laundry. And it's all no. in that way. You can tell by their comments every time a kid decommits or decides he's leaving to chase his dream of playing professionally.
1: It's funny. There was maybe this is fifteen years ago. Maybe something along those lines, Rick. Um, there was a, a pro basketball league that was started, and Cincinnati had a team, and it was this whole. We're gonna get guys from Kentucky and UC and the Xavier Cincinnati stuff. Whatever it was, yeah, one of those schlock teams, and people are going to come. And I said, I remember I was doing radio then. I said, this is not going to work because fans really don't care about those guys once they leave their school. You may think they do. People don't care where Allen Edwards is playing now, guys. They don't. People don't care where, where 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 those guys look. Do Kentucky fans still follow Anthony Davis? Yeah, because he's a mega star in the NBA, and even I think non-Kentucky fans follow Anthony Davis. Do they follow Car Anthony Towns? Yeah. Do they follow Malik Monk? I don't know. Do they follow De'Aaron Fox? Probably not. He's playing. I mean they're still caring about what, what it says on the front of the uniform, which is Kentucky. Uh, they, 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 it, this is not going to hurt college basketball whatsoever. It's just not.
0: No, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, again, like you said, well, you miss out on seeing a couple players a year? Yeah, but really it's only going to be for the guys that college wasn't the right path anyways, and they may have tried to go to Europe or something like that instead. So. I don't think this is like an entirely new development that's going to really change the landscape much at all.
1: Yeah, and looking back, I mean, I don't feel like I missed out on Kevin Garnett. I, I just don't because I saw Kevin Garnett as a pro. That's good. I, I don't. I know I didn't miss out
0: on seeing Kwame Brown for goodness sakes. <laughs> what about Jonathan Bender? Did Jonathan, Bender, Jonathan yeah, Bender. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Ex- exactly. Yeah.
0: Ski. ESPN aired episodes three and four of The Last Dance, the 10-part miniseries on the 1997-98 Chicago Bull Sunday night. Episode three averaged 6.1 million viewers, From 9 to 10 p.m. and episode 4 from 10 to 11 p.m. averaged 5.7 million viewers. Combined with last week's premiere episodes, the documentary series now represents the four most viewed original content broadcast on ESPN Networks since 2004 and is averaging 6 million viewers through its first four episodes. What were your takeaways from episodes 3 and 4 of The Last Dance? Carmen Electra wrapped in a sheet trying to hide. From Michael Jordan, knocking on the door in the morning
1: how good was that
0: more and more I, scary than your dad
1: yeah exactly and the other one i don't i, I i'm not sure I, I guess i didn't remember rodman taking that vacation i i just maybe it was just he, I went, oddly it felt did. Like he went did you really yeah that it was a vacation or I, that he went a wall
0: no i remember that he went a wall i remember that being a thing on espn the weird thing is i hadn't remembered that whole year um they talked about in episode two where Pippin elected not to have a surgery until the year started yeah we talked about that yeah yeah we talked about that last week uh but the rodman thing i did weirdly remember i didn't know all the specifics of it though that was a decent decent little story and
1: and i'll be frank i don't remember the pistons walking off the court not shaking hands being a thing i don't remember that
0: yeah i i was going to ask you about that i mean well we're
1: gonna we're gonna differ on our opinions of it now that i've seen it i i just don't recall it being a thing then
0: do you uh, no, that's what I was surprised by. And I'm surprised that you don't recall it being a thing because I figured you, you being the, the sportsmanship guy that you are, you were going to be like, oh, yeah, it was terrible. It was the worst thing ever. They didn't take enough charges, and then they didn't shake hands <laughs> after the game was over. And uh, I'm surprised to hear you say you don't even remember that happening. Well, and, and it's possible I don't remember watching the end of that game either.
1: It was a blowout, and I could have moved on but, to something else. But it seemed like it particular. was a
0: story I, that continued on I, afterwards. That I, don't,
1: I don't remember it. say I don't remember it being a thing. I really don't. Um, Everything's so got,
0: different now with social media, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. Like, you don't get if you If you happen to just not watch TV for a day or two, like, you might have missed a news cycle. You, you weren't going to have it constantly slammed into your feet all day.
1: Well, I'll be honest, 25, 30 years ago, coaches in the NFL didn't run across the field to shake hands. They would either, you know, just give themselves a kind of a high wave and run off the field, and that was just the way things were. So some of that stuff's changed. And, and I'm, there's no doubt some of the, the handshake line is hokey, but it is a thing, and I think it is, I like it. I think it, I, and maybe it's just because, for me, in the handshake line now, it's a lot of kids I coach in AAU or coached against, and it's good just to say hello and 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 tell them good game or whatever. Especially kids I coach and give them a hug and and because that's the you know I don't see them as much as I used to see them. Um, but I I just again I go back to that I, I the thing I do like I like as much as I you know you know me I think sportsmanship is important I think it's extraordinarily important and I'm a big believer in it. I like the fact that Bill Lambert, after the fact, just owned it and said, I wasn't shaking their hands to hell with it. I I give them credit for owning it. I really do. Isaiah, on the other hand, Isaiah's going to say whatever the wind blows, man. He's so annoying. Yes. Yeah. Now, I would say this. If Isaiah didn't make the dream team because of that, that's ridiculous. Because Isaiah should have made it.
0: Yeah, I, I I don't really care about the pettiness of, of those old guys. I think it's so funny how they all act like they were so tough and and today's players were too buddy-buddy and caught they up in feelings killed on them. social media. They would have killed stuff. them. And it's like, you guys were so, so petty. Uh, the whole handshake thing, I don't have an issue when guys just walk off the court after a loss. That it doesn't bother me at all. Like I, I think the handshake thing is a totally silly construct anyway. But – and now that coronavirus exists, you really shouldn't be doing it. It's just not healthy. <laughs> it's a good um, point. But at the same time, the orchestrated, we're going to walk off with seconds on the clock as you're still sitting on your bench yeah, walk Yeah, that's, that's Bush is, League. Is exactly like Horace Grant said, straight up bitches. Yes, they, no they were straight yeah, up agreed. bitches for that move. I mean, that is yes. so soft to do that. And I think the fact that you, you had to think about it ahead of time of like, we're not going to do this. Yeah, now I care. Now I think you're being a loser.
1: I, I will say that the, the look on Jordan's face um, in that camera shot—it it was almost one of amazement. Like, what are they, are they really doing this? Yeah. Oh, it was really? a great
0: shot as yeah. they're walking by him.
1: And he did, and he didn't say anything to him. It Was almost like I'm going to look at you. Like, what? What is this all about?
0: No, I think I think there was that moment of like we broke them. We finally did maybe, it. Like we got past them. we broke them. Look at them walking off in shame with their tail between their legs. I think there was a, some pride there that they made it happen. I think they like the fact that they did it at the same time. I think there's no doubt when Jordan had made a point to go shake hands after the last two years, when you know how much he hates losing the fact that none of their stars were able to do the same. I think he it's the reason he has zero respect for those guys to this day, Yeah, uh, yeah. which I'm great with. I love yeah. that. They don't like each other,
1: but, but I'll go back. I do like Bill Lambert on it. Look, if you're going to be a, a, a bitch back then, go ahead and own it today, man. I, that's, that's all
0: good. It's all good. Yep. So, Let's talk about how they're doing this whole... I think this is the most poorly edited ESPN 30, for weird. 30 documentary that I've ever seen. I know everyone loves it, and I understand that we just have nothing else to watch, and it's it's great that it's about this Bulls team that is, is so historic, but like, why in the hell did we get the what is MJ going to do after the 97-98 season interlude in the middle of episode three? Why are we talking about... like I thought this was going to be the Rodman episodes. We're talking about the Bulls winning without Rodman, briefly talking about them trying to acquire him, talk about him on the Bulls for like a game or two, and then go back to the Bulls playing against him. The timeline jumping makes no sense. And then like, for me, the Rodman episode, there really wasn't much interesting said other than like, hey, he was an eccentric guy who liked to party and we had to get that under control. It really became for me, the Phil Jackson episode. I thought the Phil Jackson episode, the, the Phil Jackson stuff was great. Of how Phil handled Rodman. Well, and, and even the, the the stuff they showed about Phil Jackson's history. Like, I didn't – obviously, Phil Jackson as a player, like, I knew it happened, but I had no, I've had i never seen him play before, well, so the th- skyhooks th- th- were hilarious.
1: This will tell you how old I am. I lived in New York when he played for the Knicks, and he was probably my favorite player just because I loved the way he played. In fact, they showed the book uh, that was written with Phil right after his career was over. I remember having that book, reading that book, and and really thinking Phil Jackson was a dude – then I remember Phil Jackson coaching the Albany Patroons when they would play here in the CBA against the Cincinnati uh, the, the Slammers and thinking, man, Phil Jackson, that's Phil Jackson. Never, that's before Phil Jackson became, wow, that's Phil Jackson. So, man, I've, I've been a Phil Jackson guy for 50 years,
0: man. Uh, well, and see, I obviously grew up and Phil Jackson was the wise sage, the, the guy who was a little bit eccentric, but more so because he had all this wisdom and was like a monk or something or was completely Zen, the Zen master, right? But the, them showing those like early days of him first becoming a coach when he he went overseas and coached in that oh, league yeah. where they were shooting people and everything else, like it, he sounds and looks like Will Ferrell acting like a basketball coach. <laughs> I mean, it's he sounds like a total airhead. I mean, it sounds like he's on every job. Uh, apparently, he wrote that autobiography about him doing uh, acid and everything yes. else. Yep. So yep. That's the book. I, I, I do not know the whole backstory on Phil Jackson there about his younger days. I I came in on Phil Jackson too late. So that was the most interesting part of the episode. But again, like I don't know why that was seated where it was in the middle of this episode about Dennis Rodman, which really became more about the bulls winning their first championship. I'm so confused about the, the, the timeline of all of the, the whole series. Yeah,
1: I, I, I think I would have rather seen it, look, do the setup piece and then let's give us some chronological order to that season and maybe mix a story in about a guy here and there. That that, that to me would have been the way to do it.
0: Well, yeah, or or if you're going to do like an, epi- an episode about a specific guy, then really just dig into that player and get quotes about that guy throughout the whole thing and really tell his full story. And if you jump around from episode to episode because you're rehashing like, here's the years while that guy was on the team, that's fine. But they're just randomly jumping to like, all of a sudden it becomes about Jordan and what he's going to do after the 97, 98 season. And then it's back to Rodman. And then it's back to them trying to win their first championship in 91. It's like, where are we going? And like, what is the point of constantly going back to all these different storylines where you're not really telling us what's going on? It's very, it's very poorly edited in my opinion.
1: Yeah. I think they should have taken Carmen Electra back to all the spots that she and Rodman had sex at the facility. And she could have shown us exactly where all those were.
0: Uh, without getting us in trouble here, let's just say that Carmen Electra looks like she's in good shape for however old she is. No question. She lo- I think she looked better today than she did back then. I would tend to agree with you. I think she is definitely more healthy than she, she was back and as you And as you know, she's a local gal. She definitely is. Cincinnati zone. All right, Skinny, it's time for our favorite part of the podcast. We are already uh, on another long one, so we'll try to get through these quickly. We've got our Ask Skinny Anything segment where oh listeners send in questions through social media, email, and, and other means. Um, starting with a, a really intelligent question here. How concerned were you by the speculation that COVID-19 could be spread through farts?
1: Uh, extremely. Cause I, uh, I, I look, I, am not going to lie. I'm, I'm, I, I don't mind passing gas on occasion. So I, I hate to be spreading it to, to people, uh, especially in my own household when I'm doing, that. I mean, who, who doesn't wake up and let one rip, right? I mean, we all do it. And Well, I'd hate to know that that my kid down the hall might have died because I let one fly in the morning. That's brutal.
0: Well, and and the good news is after that sort of got circulated, it was clarified that look like, yes, you can spray some booty particles when you fart. But like as long as it's covered by, you know, your pants and underwear, there's no issue here. But like you probably shouldn't be bare bottom farting in people's faces, which, you know, probably not something you should do regularly not Um, unless you're into
1: some weird stuff bro Well, and and we don't
0: shame here so if you are that's fine but like (laughs) just not during social distancing and quarantine times uh what that brings up you know another one of the articles i read about this did say that estimates for the number of times healthy people fart per day range from five to 25 times so let's middle it and set the over under at 15 are you going over or under 15 farts a day on average you think
1: it depends on on uh, kind of what what I had the night before. If it's of a dra- course. if it's a draft beer night before, oh oh my goodness!
0: And that's what makes this tough, right? Because like Correct. I feel like there are some days where it's like well, none, like one two. Like, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Even I don't, I mean, I'm not going to say it's that low, bro. But uh, well, I mean, I, I think there there are days where you don't ever remember even farting, and then there are days. That's where a good it's point. Like you, no, that's a good point. You uh, can't yeah. stop. Yeah, no, uh, that
1: that that's exactly right. There are some mornings where it's like, man, that draft beer, holy cow, all that bubbles built up inside of me. It got to come out.
0: Well, uh, I told you on the last podcast, we talked about our favorite beers. We, we do the, the summer trip, which is a wheat beer. And wheat beer on draft will just oh, – yeah. you're, you're just yeah. done for the next day. You're just a, a, a fart machine, a fart noise machine. I, I, I mean, I will, be, I will
1: be honest with you. Mon, Monday, Monday's dinner, we've tried to, to cook at home, obviously, and, and we've eaten out a little bit or, or done carry out a little bit to do our part. But for the most part, we've eaten a lot more meals at home than we've probably ever eaten in the last 20 years combined. And Monday was kind of a one of those days where we just got tired of making formal meals, so we just went, uh, we went beans and beans and franks and oh, uh, and and and, and uh, so I had that and a few beers. And um, I bet
0: you were a delight in the morning. Yes, yeah. I'm
1: just gonna leave it at that. Yeah. I'm a big
0: overnight farter. I wake myself up in the <laughs> night all the time by just ripping the, yeah. like a loud fart
1: here's the thing i wonder do you think it's that's what wakes you up is the fact yeah. that you have to do that or no, that, that it's, you, noise. Did it's it, the noise it's the sound it, yeah that's what i'm wondering like, it's, like, it's like what comes first the chicken or the egg
0: no I'm, it's like it's like it's like snoring for me like how nor like snoring i don't snore much but like normal people when they'll snore they'll like wake themselves up sometimes because it's loud yes, enough correct where yes, it's correct. like rattles them that's how sometimes i'll like i'll get a good fart and it will just rattle me it'll be like oh what was that Did you shake the covers or I'm that not going to lie,
1: that, that might be the best question of the questions asked podcast to this point.
0: Though. Yeah, it really, it really got into some things there. Um, someone else, which this probably isn't the question to ask us, wants to know, what happened to Kim Jong-un? Is he dead? If so, will his sister, Kim Yo-jung, assume power and be accepted in the male-dominated North Korean society?
1: I'm going to ask this question, though.
0: Yeah. Sister, hot or not? <laughs> I have,
1: I'm going to have to Google that now. I think she's got kind of one of those, if you like those those, those female Chinese assassin movies where you're like, man, she's she's a bad girl,
0: but man, she's hot. She's kind of got that going on, man. Uh, let's put it this way. I wouldn't say no. Yes, correct. That's, yeah, correct. I was not expecting his relative to look I know like it. that. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I got to say he gone.
1: <laughs> we haven't seen well, that. We're going to get, we are going to, I've seen a couple of memes. I'm sure you have too. You are going to get the weekend at Bernie's meme at some point. You're, 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 it's, it's coming. Correct.
0: I think that they would go to that length to uh, Yes. Yes. Well, well, the only thing is he would go to those lengths. I don't He'll, know yeah, if right. the, the rest of his people will, once he's actually gone, he, he if, might be gone. If,
1: what, if I die before I decompose, show me off for about two months.
0: Yeah, drive me around in the car with sunglasses on. I think um, when TMZ posted that tweet, it was like, okay, it's official. He's definitely dead. But then they clearly said, like, according to reports in China or reports in China and North or South Korea, and it's like, well, you're not officially reporting it then. If TMZ reports it, I have 100% confidence it's done. No, I agree.
1: They're, They're usually really good with that stuff.
0: Yeah, when they say according to reports in other countries, then I'm like, uh. I'm not so sure yet. I'm going to guess he is dead though. I'm right. guessing he's yes. If Skinny had to quarantine with only one snack food, one snack food and one beverage, what would it be? I mean the, the beverage, it's well, beverage Heineken it. or whatever beer of choice. Yeah, cor- correct. Yeah. And uh what's the snack that you would choose? Because it is water
1: based, so you can Yeah. Um I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go cheese it. It's the perfect snack. Man, that is it's a, a really good one. And
0: cheese. Cheese it. I'm going cheese it. Well, and it's easy. You're never like not in the mood for a cheese it. Correct. You can always snack on a cheese it. It's not too much.
1: Correct. It's uh, it it is. It, it's funny. If if I'm driving, making a lengthy road trip somewhere, driving, um, usually the snack I will buy for the for the drive is you got to nosh on something is cheese it. There's no. It's just an easy. It's, it's it's not overly fattening. It's just it's the perfect snack to me. I'm Dude. a big peanut I'm a big peanut guy too. Uh, that would be close for me, but I think I'd get sick of peanuts after a while.
0: Yeah, I, I don't like peanuts. Uh do you do the extra toasted Cheez Its? Have you done those?
1: No, I've not. I uh, love I that. I, I, I that look they look that looks good, yes. Yeah. Well you know when you Yes, because occasionally the one you get out of the box, you're like, oh, that's the one. Oh, that, that is the
0: bomb. Well, yeah. the whole, So the extra toasted is just a whole box of those. Yeah, it's fantastic. That would be perfect. I'm with you. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, those are my favorites. I do that too. Um, But mine would be, uh, I got to st- stick with the brand, hashtag dip Friday. It's, it's got to be uh, chips and guacamole.
1: Oh, see, I'm not a guacamole guy.
0: Oh, I can't do it. Huge guac guy. Yeah, I can't do huge. it. Huge. Uh. Who is the one athlete you hated the most as a child, and did you ever get a chance to meet them in person, as media or otherwise? Explain your hatred.
1: That I hated as a child. Yeah. What athlete? Oh, man, did you hate I'm the most trying to think if I hated anybody as a child. Um, oh yeah, guys.
0: yeah. I'm sure you. Yeah, you never hated anyone.
1: No, I mean, as an athlete, I'm trying to. Th- I'm trying to think if there's anybody I hate. I-, I hated the Steelers as a child. Uh, I hated every Steelers player. I hated Terry Bradshaw. I never really got to meet him, but I hated him. Because because I was I grew up here I was a Bengals fan as a kid we had season tickets so I grew up and those were the great Steelers teams, yeah. um, I hated Jack Lambert too but you get to after you watch Jack Lambert before, you're like yeah I, I like I don't mind Jack Lambert you know what? I'm not sure there's a guy I hated I, I'm trying to think college college sports wise was there anybody I hated. Louisville, I I see I, I know as a Kentucky fan, I'm supposed to irrationally hate Louisville. I love Louisville's den I love Denny Crum's Louisville team, so I didn't I never hated them. I never had, hated Indiana. I loved the Quinn Buckner, Kent Benson, Bobby Knight team, so I I didn't have hatred. I'm I'm gonna say no. I, I, I yeah, there's no. I, I got no I got nothing on that. I'm sorry.
0: For me, uh Big Ben would be an easy one. I mean, I was a little bit older when he came into the NFL, I I guess middle school, but uh, definitely hated him and then I did Interview him when I was covering the Bengals, doing locker room stuff for for the the opposing team as as the third guy, and uh, was in like media scrums with him. So I didn't like officially meet him, meet him, but he was a pretty big douche in those uh, scrums. Even oh, I so. can imagine. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, probably. so he lived up to the, the hatred. Um, and, and really, I just hate him because he's uh, a pretty huge raper, and he played for the Steelers. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm I, I uh, it's not. You're, you probably shouldn't say it in this like in this time, but I'm not a Kobe Bryant guy. I've really always disliked him. I, his whole persona, I think every about everything about him is annoying, fake, silly. Yeah. A, a- rod falls in that category, right? Oh yeah. The most inauthentic human of all time. No, no, no <laughs> Un- no question until he started teaming up with uh big cat and, and doing the, the court podcast and everything. And like somehow big cat has kind of humanized him and, and made him somewhat likable for, for a lot. I, of I, I will
1: say, public. I will say on the, on the flip side of that question. Um, I grew up, uh, I was, I was in, in my late teens, early college years, and for whatever reason, rationally loved the San Diego Padres through the 70s into the 80s. I don't know why I irrationally loved them, but I did. And they got good, and they brought up a fat outfielder who I just fell in love with, Tony Gwynn. And uh, one of the cool parts when I was working at the, at the Cincinnati Post, this was in the early 90s, uh I served in a bunch of backup beat roles um in addition to covering some high school stuff and my boss knew I was a Tony Gwynn fan and he said hey you want to go do take out on Gwynn when the Padres come to town and I did went down for 30 minutes just sat in his locker talking to him and that to me I'm not a hero worshiper by any means you know me well enough to know that but that was really cool the fact that I mean I literally I said hey man you got me he goes yeah let me go grab a chicken leg and a biscuit and I'll come back he goes whatever time you need I thought holy cow and this was when Tony had been in the league for 10 years right I mean he he was a star at that point. Yeah. And there we were. We were talking hitting basketball because he was a really good basketball player at San Diego State. And that to me That's that the crazy where, thing. That, like, that's the one where occasionally you're like, Man, I love this guy. As, as I've watched him, please don't be an ass. Couldn't it was the exact opposite. It was it was the honestly one of my favorite things I've ever done.
0: The the basketball thing with him is still crazy. I know he looked a little bit different in college, right, but still right. when you see him like when he was, you know, 10 years in the the MLBs and just ripping singles and doubles into every gap known to mankind, you're like, wait. He was a really good Division One basketball player. That's yeah, right. I would not have guessed that. Um, Yeah, the the next question on the list is: What was the most deserving technical you've ever received, and what was said or done?
1: Oh, this is this guy. He he's a he's still reffing today. He's a young guy still. He was really young then. This is in the uh, this is in the Saint Catherine's summer league from about eight or nine years ago
0: do you like him now or does he suck? oh no i love him Go i love him
1: i like him then because it wasn't this wasn't even directed at him it was directed at his partner but um it was it was a summer seventh grade girls basketball game well and which is <laughs> worth getting heated over correct and i shouldn't have but this one guy was you just think? he was he was so incompetent i think at one point it was literally 12 fouls to one uh, which I I always think that whenever you hear that seven fouls is zero. Well, yeah, because probably that other team's fouled seven times. The other team hasn't. But this felt like I was getting jobbed, and I said some a couple of times. And finally, as this guy went down the floor, I said, "Hey, tell your partner he might as well kiss me because he's done everything else to me tonight." Oh, bingo! <laughs> I, and I deserved that one. I I owned it. I just I said I kind of gave him a wave like, "Yep, you're right. I'm good."
0: Uh, that's that's a pretty solid one. I'll take that. <laughs> Uh, would you rather have to – a lot of people want to know about Coach Skinny on this podcast. Oh, my. Would, would you rather have to coach basketball where you can only call plays and can't say anything else at all or be able to say anything but you can't call out any plays? Oh, I'd rather be able to say anything and not call out plays. Yeah. I,
1: <laughs> I'm I, the exact I, opposite. I See, I, I'm a – I got a bunch of sets. I just don't like running a lot of sets because kids don't remember where they're supposed to go, what they're supposed to do. Kids don't screen worth a damn anymore. I, I've i just gotten to the point. I literally got to the point of just playing five out, pass and move, because I just get tired of trying to call a set, watching a screen go wrong, watching a guy who screens, who's a freshman in, ba- in, in high school that, that still doesn't understand when you set a screen, you can either pop or roll and they just kind of screen and set. Sa- I call it the screen and stand.
0: Yeah, that's, that's effective. Um, but
1: those are my yeah. Those are my favorite, screen and stand. It's like, dude, if you'd rolled, you got a layup. That would have been your layup. That would have been your bucket. So, you know, why don't you just earn yourself that? No, for me, I'd rather be able to say anything and not call sets.
0: I, I have to wonder, though, does this mean if I can't say anything? I mean, this question was directed at you anyway. But if you can't say anything, does that include not being able to talk to refs? Because that would change my thought. If it, If that was included, then I'd agree with you. If I'm allowed to yell at refs, but just can't say anything else to my team other than plays, I would take that option. Yeah, I have to be allowed to yell at refs,
1: and I'd let the kids call the out of bounds unders, right? Because I'm not allowed to do that, correct?
0: Yeah, you're not allowed to call any yeah.
1: plays. Let the kids call the out of bounds unders. I mean, you'd have you'd have you'd have some sets. I mean, hell, you got a point guard. Let him call the sets.
0: Yeah, now I'm I'm going with uh, uh, call the plays and not allowed to say anything else during the game. So, so you're a big set guy. I'm a big set guy, but also I'm a big do your coaching in practice and like yelling nonstop throughout the game doesn't help as much as most coaches. Like, I don't need to micromanage during the game. But, and I was that I yelled a lot when I was coaching, but most of it was at refs.
1: Yeah. No, I I believe it or not. I know people think I'm a nut. A lot of my yelling actually is encouragement stuff of of nice job, nice rotation, good, you know, good help, whatever. A lot of it's that just to reinforce that, hey, you're doing the right things. Um, And I think they need that a lot of times. To me, though, I just, like I said, I've gotten to the point of I, I put sets in and they look great in practice, and then you put them in the game where you're going 1,000 miles an hour and Fred doesn't run it the right way. And I mean, dude, we put a set in for, for a regional tournament game in high school, and it was a set that was really an easy set. And the, the, the way the set started, the kid went to the exact opposite side of the floor. And, it only, and we only had done a walkthrough that day 15 times with the set. I mean, honestly, you can't remember where to go when you start the action. That's really difficult.
0: Yeah, the only two things I really liked doing were yelling at the refs or yelling what the other team's set was going to be when we were on defense, we telling it like what was coming because like, uh, opposing coaches always get mad about it or like shoot you a glance. That was fun too. But the, I don't need to yell at my kids that much. The
1: funny that. part is even yelling those outs, and we do the same thing, right? Especially when you get to tournament time, you've scouted them enough, you, you feel like you know their sets, even though they probably put a couple of new ones in. And then you yell it out, and it's the exact set that they're going to run. It's the exact set you scouted. But despite the fact you've yelled it out, the kids defensively still don't need to know how to – they still don't know how to defensive. They, they, the scouting report's in one ear, not the other anyway.
0: All right, and finally, Brian Snow wants to know that uh, if a high school prospect put out a mixtape of nothing but charges, would that be an automatic offer from Coach Skinny?
1: No question, Brian Snow. You, you know better than that, baby. That, I, that kid may not be able to, 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 to clank a two-footer. He may not be able to shoot a free throw. Hell, he may not be able to run up and down the floor. But for me, he's got a spot on my team any day
0: how awesome would that be if they just played like a weird al yankovich's white and nerdy the remix to riding and dirty and then just had a, a highlight the guy just getting run charges <laughs> nonstop. how fantastic <laughs> would that be if a kid put that out right now
1: i, I would say this i mean maybe that's the kid that, that you look you go say hey listen everybody part the seas the first four times on the floor because fred on the other team he's going to come and he wants to dunk and we got jim and jim is going to stand above that line and he's going to get run over four times we're going to get we're going to get that dude off the floor. He's not going to know what happened to him. And then I'm going to pull him aside and go, listen, you can't do anything else, but you just won the game for us by taking those four charges.
0: Hashtag ban the charge.
1: Hashtag charge is awesome.
0: <laughs> it's the worst hashtag ever.
1: Yeah, maybe. That's uh, all we got. That's mine. All right, I love it. Thanks a lot, folks. We appreciate it. Rick, thanks to you. We'll be back next week. Um, we've had a lot to talk about sports-wise. Not sure where we're going with this next <laughs> next week, Rick, but we'll, we'll, well, we'll... There's maybe, plenty of
0: nonsense being sent to us.
1: Maybe we'll have some Annie Dalton news by that point. We'll see. Maybe some more flatulence talk. I love it. That, that, that Whoever tweeted that question, that was right on. Well done. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skerr. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition.